One, uh, one quick thing about baptism. Some of you may be new to church and you're new to church things, so to speak. And, uh, we do baptize every, uh, every Sunday that has, every month that has a five Sundays, we always uh, baptize on that fifth Sunday. However, uh, we have a another baptistry that's portable that we can bring out here and we've used before as well. So what I'm saying is, is you're trying to figure out, oh, man, I really feel led of the Lord to be baptized, but it's not a fifth Sunday month. Just let us know and uh, we will we would love to make that happen. <clears throat> There's two beautiful gifts that God gave the church. One is baptism and the other is the Lord's Supper. And so. We're doing both today. When you came in, did you get uh, did you get a cup? If you did not, uh, they can grab you. Anybody not get one? Okay, very good. Because um, we'll get to those in in just a moment. Um, whew, let me catch my breath. The older I get, I used to get fly down there and do that, but. Uh, I was putting my socks on and I was figuring out other things to do while I was down there. You know, that that sometimes happens. Um, last week, we talked about preparing for the Lord's Supper. And uh, if you recall, if you don't recall, quick uh, remembrance. Number one, it's a time to remember. We remember what Jesus did for us. And sometimes we, I don't know if we become calloused. Or whatever, but it's hard for us to remember. And uh, we remember he went to the cross and the anguish he had, so we remember. Second of all, it's a time to reflect. Is my life inconsistent with what I say as I follow Jesus? Is there sin that I'm harboring? Is there uh, something in my life that uh, is deterring my walk with Jesus? And so we reflect on that. And then thirdly, we repent. Basically, we turn around. If I'm headed a particular direction, we turn around and we come back to where we're supposed to be. So the Lord's Supper helps us to have, to have short accounts, you know, of, of, uh, of what we do. So we repent. And then we restore. We not only come before the Lord and ask him to restore us, but we restore relationships that are fractured. And it keeps the church oneness that's there. And so we see this in the Lord's Supper as well. And then, fifthly, we refocus. You know, I know all of you are like me in this room because we live in the same culture the world yells at us all the time, doesn't it? I mean, we get distracted. We we see this, get involved in this, do this, and and it, it, you got to admit, it's usually not bad things that keep you from the Lord. It's good things, you know, things that you're involved in. So we refocus, and then last of all, we rejoice. We just celebrate that we're children of God, and this is what we do. Well. As I was preparing for today, there's one more that I want to give you. It's a time to respond. A time to respond. And let me, let me share with you uh, some thoughts up front. And I, I just want to speak to your heart because it's important that we have our heart connected as we come to the Lord's table today. So it's a time to respond. I read about an interview that was done with a children's doctor. 
And the uh, children's doctor said this. She said um, that a child who is uh, uh, compliant and will obey is four times more likely to recover than a child that is spoilish and selfish. And I thought, my goodness, even obedience leads to better health and a better way of living. So we we think about this, how to respond, and am I obedient in the way I respond? When God nudges me, am I being obedient to what he is asking of me? But But the problem is, is that the Lord is speaking, but we are not responding. Now, let me give you a picture. Remember I told you last week, that the Lord's Supper that we do was started by Jesus, but it's part of the Jewish Passover. He just changed the covenant part of it. So in the Old Testament, we have the Passover. And where that came from is, real quick lesson, you will not be tested, but Moses and the children of Israel were in slave uh, slavery in Egypt, and God was going to use these plagues to get the children of Israel out of Egypt. The last plague was the killing of the firstborn, okay? So what God tells the people through Moses is this. What I want you to do is I want you to uh, sacrifice a lamb at twilight, take the blood, take a hyssop branch, and put it on the doorpost of your home. And when the angel of death will come... They will pass over when they see the blood, and if not, then the firstborn will be uh, killed. And part of that Passover, there will be a meal that you have with it. And he goes into great details in the book of Exodus about this meal that they're going to be taking. But there was one thing that I was reading again this week, and I'm thinking, why did I really see that so much. Why did it not stick out to me? And it's in Exodus chapter 12, just one verse, verse 11. And let me read it. Remember, he's talking all the great detail of this meal. And he says this, in this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So if you're not getting the picture, there, there's this meal you're supposed to eat, unleavened bread, all these things you're supposed to eat. And then he says this, I want you to eat it fully dressed to travel. Put your traveling shoes on, grab your walking stick. I want you to get ready to go once this meal is over. And I read that and I thought, man, how many times when we take the Lord's Supper, is it an end in itself Instead of God instructing us, now you go and you do what I'm asking you to do. We don't, we don't talk about that very much. We come, we, we have an intimate time with God. We, we want to hear his voice. We, we spend that time in worship. We get cleansed of our sins. We confess and we repent and this has happened. But then the, the spirit of God is saying, I've got something for you. If you'll just be willing to listen and obey. Now, so often we think it is something just huge and grandiose. You know, we're going to deliver all the children out of Egypt or we're going to walk across the Red Sea or whatever we're going to do. We think of great miracles. But sometimes 
God's nudges are so simple, it's to write a note to somebody. Call somebody up and let them know you're thinking about them. Walk across your street and meet your neighbor and see what's going on in their life. You know, a lot of these are these kind of nudges that God gives. But so often, we don't obey. And I got to thinking, why do I not obey? When God, when I sense that nudge in my spirit to do something, why do I not just do it? Well, I thought about some reasons. I thought, first of all, we don't know what he's asking. You know, so often we say that, well, God, I'm here. Just tell me what to do. And, and usually we want something that's uh, uh, well within our wheelhouse, right? But God often stretches us in that area. So we don't know what he's asking. Second of all, we're not sure how it will be accomplished. I mean, God gives something big, and he's, he wants us to be a part of it. And what we do is, God, I just don't see how that can work. So we decide not to do it because we think it all about us and our plan. And if we can't see it, it's like a flashlight and it gives a little bit of light. And we want to see a halogen get light up the whole room. And he gives us this a bit at a time. And so we don't see how it can be accomplished. It's like Abraham in the scriptures. Abraham was told, I want you to leave your uh, land of your family, leave your family, and go to where I will show you. He didn't show him. He just said, go. And so, you know, we would want the big picture. Here's the third reason we don't obey. We don't want to. Let's just be honest. We don't want to. God speaks and he nudges us. And uh, we just don't want to do it. Remember Moses, I was talking about Moses and the children of Israel. Moses had an encounter with a bush that was burning but not being consumed. And the Lord spoke to him and gave him the direction of what he was supposed to do to go help the children of Israel. And Moses started making up excuses. He didn't want to do it. I can't talk well. Use use my brother Aaron. You know, you, you know he, he just was not going to do it. So he was not going to do it. But here's another one. You're not willing to do it. You know what it is, and you're just not willing to step up like that. I I thought about Jonah. Jonah in the Old Testament. All of you know the story about Jonah, at least the swallowing uh, of the big fish. That uh, Jonah, God told Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to tell them, if they don't repent, I'm going to destroy them. Uh, Jonah said, okay, I hear what you're saying. I'm just not willing to do it. So he goes in a boat the opposite direction. They ended up having to throw him over. A great fish uh, swallows him, goes and throws him up on the shore of Nineveh. That's, that's a good sign that you're supposed to go. And so, uh, but he was not willing. And oftentimes we're just saying, God, I hear you. I'm just not willing to do it. But here's, here's, uh, here's another one. And this is probably me more than any of the others. The Lord nudges me to move and to be obedient and to either speak something or go just take care of something and, and whatever it may be. And, and what happens in my life is that I put him off. Lord, when it's more convenient for me, then I will do it. But right now, I, I, I just don't. I just don't know about doing it. And we miss the opportunity because God has a plan to do it right now. 
And I just miss it. Um, Reggie Jackson, the Hall of Fame Major League Baseball player, he, uh, when he played in, in, uh, the major leagues, he played most of his career with the Yankees and most of his career with the Oakland A's. But he spent one year with the Baltimore Orioles. And he's playing for the Baltimore Orioles and he makes it to first base, okay? And he's on first base. He knows this pitcher and the catcher. He knows what he can do here. So he does get the sign. He doesn't get permission to do it, but he takes off and steals second. And he's so proud of himself that he stole second base. So he comes, the, 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 uh, inning ends up inning, ending, and he goes back into the dugout. And uh, the coach, Earl Weaver, is there. And Earl Weaver is not happy with Reggie Jackson and what he just did, even though he was successful in the stolen base. And, and Reggie Jackson says, man, but I stole second. And Earl Weaver said, yeah, but what happened is, is Lee May was on deck. He is our home run hitter. And because you stole second, that left first base uh, unoccupied, so they intentionally walked him, and the next batter hasn't hit this pitcher all year long. He ends up making it out, and we're out of the inning because of what you chose to do. And Earl Weaver basically implied to him is this. You saw the play, but I see the whole game. You see, God sees the whole game. Sometimes we want to know how we fit into it, and the Lord just needs us to say yes at the moment and to go do what he's asking of us. So simple. It may be a phone call, a, a, a letter, a card to somebody. And yet we sometimes say, yeah, Lord, but not on my time. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament in the book of Acts, he, uh, he had gotten arrested. And uh, he, he appears before, he's called Governor Felix. Now, what all his role is, I'm not sure. But Governor Felix and his wife, Drusilla, they wanted to hear from Paul. And so they call for Paul. And, and this is what the scriptures tell us in, in Acts. It says, as Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. In other words, he was under conviction. And he said, that's enough for now. You may leave. And then he said this. Get this. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. Man, when it's on our convenience, right? God, I want to be used of you. I want to do mighty things for you. But let's do it in my time. And let's do it in my strength and in my wheelhouse, the things I can do. And God says, you can do it as you want. But I will get no glory out of that. You see, when God has got glory, things change. And this is what I've discovered. When I look at the life of Jesus in the New Testament, most of his great works were done either in distractions or spontaneous or in the shadows. Let me give you an example. Uh, distractions. Blind men yelling at him. Lepers yelling at him. A short man by the name of Zacchaeus up in a tree. Listen, these were distractions, but yet God used Jesus in those distractions to do mighty things. We, we see, we, we think if God doesn't work in our plan and God uses the distractions of your life or the spontaneity. I wonder 
on the on the morning that that uh, that that Jesus and his disciples met with everybody, that uh, if there there wasn't a thought that feeding five thousand was in his mind, but yet spontaneously he did it. God supplied. And then I think about the shadows. I think about the uh, the the lady who had the issue of blood, and she reached out and touched the robe of Jesus, and she was instantaneously healed. Where, where I'm getting at here is that God sees the big picture, and He wants to use you and me. I love the obedience of these people with baptism. Do they have to be baptized to be saved? No, no. All salvation is in Christ alone. But it's a step of obedience to let others know. And their life will be forever strengthened because of their obedience. So here's here's the deal before we take the Lord's Supper. Has the Lord been nudging you anyway? I mean, you just sense it in your spirit. There's something you need to be doing and there's a nudge. Or has he, uh, are you willing to say yes as he nudges you today? Are you willing to say yes to whatever that may be? And are you willing to get spiritually dressed, get on your serving shoes and your miracle staff today to say, God, let's go, let's go. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, there's a story of King Saul. And King Saul, um, he made his own sacrifice because he was tired of waiting on Samuel the prophet. But Samuel the prophet came in God's time and Saul had already done his thing. And uh, Samuel the prophet speaks to Saul and he says this. King Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken, to be willing to do it is greater than the fat of rams. In other words, your religious thing that you just did, listen, if you would have just obeyed, it's greater than any of that. We think we're something because we came to church today. And we think we're something because we, we try to do good works. But listen, if we're not willing to be obedient to what God is asking of us, then we're missing something. And often we're, we're confused because we want the big picture. Ann Graham Lotz, who is the, the daughter of Billy Graham, great teacher in her own right. Her husband and her used to go to the University of North Carolina to, to different activities because they were alumni. Or her husband was an alumni from there. And used to these things, homecoming and these big things, there were groups. This was pre-COVID when you just kind of rub shoulders with everybody. And uh, she said, I just didn't know where I was going. However, my husband did. You see, her husband was six foot seven. He can see above the crowd. And he would take her hand and they would just make their way through. I want you to know that God sees it all. He's just ready for you to take his hand. And this is my prayer today. As we take the Lord's Supper and we remember and we reflect on what Jesus has done. Let me just say it this way. Sometimes we trust Jesus with our eternity, but we don't trust him with today. Are we willing to take his hand? 
and say, Lord, you see it all. Would you guide me?